This resource is produced by Discipleship.org, championing Jesus' way of disciple-making. Attend the next National Disciple-Making Forum by registering at Discipleship.org. The following audio comes from the 2016 National Disciple-Making Forum. The theme this year was Culture Shift, Back to Jesus' Way of Disciple-Making. Discipleship.org brought together 10 disciple-making organizations all in one place, each organization hosting a different track. One of those 10 tracks was hosted by Final Command Ministries. Here's audio content from Final Command and their track called Viral Disciple-Making Movements. Okay, folks, we're going to get started here. How's everybody doing? Good. well? Glad you're here. Well, um, we're kind of getting closer to the... Uh, to the end of the day, I, even though it feels like, I mean, it's only 9.45, but it feels like it's, uh, there's a, the end of the tunnel kind of thing here. So, uh, very, very grateful that you're here today. Um, my name's Gary Jennings. I work with Final Command Ministries. This is part of that track that you, some of you have been on. Um, how many have not been a part of any of the Final Command tracks? Okay. Got a few? Great. Thanks for joining us. Um, I'll give you a little bit of my my story. We're going to talk about paradigm shifts. Um, would you agree that we need to have some paradigm shifts in the local church if we're going to have disciple making movements? You know, whatever we're doing is is we're struggling, aren't we? We're chal- we're really challenged on if we're going to see movements actually happen in in North America. My story, um, hey Tim, come on, anybody, good to see you, fellow Texan there. Um, so I, I, my local ministry, local church ministry, was youth, being a youth pastor, worship leader uh, in Texas, and then moved to Illinois to be a youth evangelism guy for the state convention, Baptist convention in, in Illinois. Then went to North American Mission Board. Um, those of you who are Southern Baptists or church planning people know about North American Mission Board. Went to work for them as a manager for collegiate evangelism, then came to Lifeway here in Nashville. And so I live here in Hendersonville. This is my church home. Thank you. I hope you had a had a great experience here in our, our uh, facilities here and people. Um, three years ago, actually about four years ago, a guy was stirring in my heart about there's, um, we just keep seeing the same thing over and over again. You know, we're just people going from one Bible study to the next without transformation. Uh, there's all this more knowledge. You know, people are just getting more and more knowledge. And then, um, so God, well, there's a restlessness in my heart to say, there's got to be, I mean, I, I love the local church. I've given my life to the local church for 40 years, but there's got to be something. So there's got to be a change somewhere. Um, and then um, then I got that call from, from Lifeway. It says, hey, would you meet with us on on Friday? And I went, oh, I know what that means. Because, I'd seen it for the eight years before, you know, um, that's how sometimes Lifeway balances the budget, you know, by, you know, cutting personnel. So I knew that that was, that was coming. So, but I had a real peace about that. I really did. Um, because I knew there was, I'm just, you know, just concerned about the local church, the health of the local church. I've been consulting for, for years now. And the health of the local church, I mean, it's, we're struggling. Um, and not only that, we're not connecting with lost people as much. 
Um, so I, I was just really concerned. Got the, and I had that, you know, that that meeting, and uh, they were kind of like, "Why are you so happy?" You know, and I I go, "I don't. I'm not necessarily happy, but I'm peaceful that God is up to something uh, in my own heart, in my own life." Um, so my first phone call after that meeting, you know who that was, my my wife, and. Um, she was living in denial. That was not going to happen, you know. And I said, oh, it's going to happen. And I made the call and said, yes, it did happen. And uh, so I, uh, uh, the second person I called, um, you may know this name, Claude King. Uh, Claude and I have been close friends for, for a few years. And I, um, I, uh, I said, Claude, would you... Would you mind if we get together like once a month just to pray and talk? And you know, I'm 59 years old and I've never been let go before. You know, what's what's the next part of my life? What's the next stage? Um, I'm loving loving life, loving my church here at Long Hollow. Um, but it's a challenge for a 59 year old guy. Um, so Claude was very gracious, and we started praying, talking. He was challenging me, kind of mentoring me a little bit. Every time I'm around Claude King, I feel like I need to get saved all over again. <laughs> if you had that time around Claude, you know you, you you know that. I mean, it's just amazing, amazing guy. Yeah, as a matter of fact, if Claude told me just go jump in the lake, I'd do it because God told him to. He didn't tell me that. So. Um, so I, I was I was very encouraged. Uh, at the same time, Long Hollow was in a partnership, uh, still is, with Final Command Ministries. I never heard of Final Command. Well, in my conversations with Claude, Claude told me that he was the president of Final Command. I'd never heard that before. And we've been friends, and he's been hiding this. I don't know, you know. Uh, so... Um, Claude really started challenging me about what God was doing with disciple-making movements around the, around the world. And I went, well, I've heard some of that before. More, more about church planning movements, CPM. And long story short, he introduced me to James Four Lions, who is executive director for Final Command. Long Hollow was, was going through an engaged class which is a study about disciple-making movements and learning how to do discovery Bible study at the same time. And I, um, I, got this, I got this phone call from a guy named Gordon. Some of you have met him. And Gordon said, hey, Gary, can we get together for lunch? And um, uh, I know you got some connections in New York City. Uh, could, you, could we connect a little bit so I can connect in New York City? I want to talk to them and teach people about dis- Discovery Bible Studies. I went, sure, I'd love to do that. I've heard of Discovery Bible Study, but that was years ago, International Mission Board. I heard something about that. And so we got together at a, I never, never heard of a meet and three place until I moved to Nashville. So we ate at a meet and three place, and um, I'm forever changed, by the way. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, God, just we need more of those. We need lots of meat and three. We need a meat and three food truck. Yeah. Um, so I, uh, uh, Gordon met with me at a meet and three. Marty Stewart was there that day. If you know Marty Stewart, you know, Hall of Fame country music star. 
met him at the bathroom. <laughs> I didn't shake his hand though. Um, and I, uh, I, uh, I heard Gordon talk about Discovery Bible Study. And I said, "Where have I been these past few years hearing about this?" I mean, I'm, I'm saying this thing is unbelievable. This is the first time I've heard of a tool that can do just about anything and everything. And so I said, "Yes, you can have all my contacts. You know, you can have everything. Let's let's get this out." Um, so I started learning how to do discovery Bible study, and but then Lynn Long Hollow, a little bit, a few a few months later, started having I had another engaged class, and I went to that. Uh, Parker Manuel's our missions pastor, and I I came and, and heard Terry New and and all the other lecturers that came in. That's where I heard Jerry Trousdale and and James and John and and others. John King, who just spoke right before, and. In one of my monthly meetings, Claude and I were meeting at Panera's outside in Madison, next next town over from Hendersonville. And he said, Gary, Jerry Trousdale, who's the author of Miraculous Movements, we have the book in the bookstore, by the way. He said, Jerry and I want to send you to Africa. Now, now folks, um, God was already dealing with me. I didn't tell anybody, but... Long Hollow had had already started a partnership with New Harvest Ministries in Sierra Leone, and uh, I wanted to go with Long Hollow, but I didn't tell anybody. I didn't tell my wife. I didn't tell nobody. And Claude says, "Hey, we we want to send you to Sierra Leone and see a disciple making movement." I mean, was God at work? You know, I'm, I'm, I love the scripture, and Blackaby brings it out. Find out where God's working and join him there. And I said, let me pray about that. Yes, I'll go. <laughs> I said, I want to do that. So I went with a different group with Jerry Trousdale, who is, again, the author of Miraculous Movements. And I'm, I'm just, Gordon was there, Parker was there. A bunch of others from our church, and then another group that I went with was from different places around the world, and we went to Sierra Leone. Now, here's my prayer. I've already read stuff about disciple-making movements. I knew some questions, a few questions to ask. Um, I knew enough to be dangerous, really, to be honest. I mean, I who was it says I'm on ignorance on fire? That's our pastor, Robbie, said that. You know, um, I was just in, I was just asking all these questions, but I didn't know to ask the right questions. And but I knew enough. So whenever we were flying into Freetown, Sierra Leone, my, here's my prayer: God, show me what you want to see, what you want me to see. Show me what you want me to see here in Sierra Leone. I'd already heard about Shadaki Johnson, the pastor, and this incredible disciple-making movement was going on in Sierra Leone, and I'm just going, God, please, is this stuff that I hear really true? Is it really happening? Is it really multiplying and reproducing? Is it not about addition, but is it really about multiplication, God moving across villages and, and communities and cities? And So my prayer, God, show me what you want me to see. Stepped off the plane, Went through customs. And by the way, 
I always feel like I'm a target when I go through customs. You know, I feel like I'm a, become, just about to become a permanent resident of whatever country I'm going into because I'm going to say the wrong thing at the wrong time. You know, um, when I'm nervous, I want to make jokes. You know, they don't like to joke, you know, all that kind of stuff. And, um, but they, they uh, coached us to what to say. And so the, the immigration officer, you know, gives me the finger, you know, that finger. And uh, he says, um, why are you here in Sierra Leone? And I said, I'm, I'm a guest of New Harvest Ministries. Now, New Harvest Ministries in both Sierra Leone, about three hours away, where Shadaki Johnson is. And he looks at me and goes, Shadaki Johnson? In the back of my mind, God, I'm, I'm saying, God, you're, are you answering my prayer already? And I said, yes, how do you know Shadaki Johnson? And he goes, well, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm ordained by New Harvest Ministry. An immigration officer, a customs officer, a customs agent, whatever you want to call him. And I step off the plane and God, I could have gone to other kiosks, you know, other little stations. And God puts me in this one and he's ordained by New Harvest Ministries that I'm going to go to. Three hours away. He's got my attention. God's got my attention. This guy's got my attention. And I said, so again, I don't know a whole lot of questions. But I said, so are you facilitating discovery? This, this is my, this, I'm, I'm still trying to survive to get through, you know. But I, now I'm engaged. And I said, uh, so are you facilitating discovery Bible studies and planting churches? He goes, oh, yeah, we're Almost like nonchalant. Yeah, oh yeah, I'm doing that, and I've already started one church, and I'm about to plant another church. And I said, God, you are answering my my prayer already. And I said, that's unbelievable. And uh, by the way, I I got through customs. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Little P.S. there. (laughs) Yeah. So we walk out of there and go to baggage area, and there's a a female police officer waiting for us to escort us across the way to where our cars are that we're going to take to go three hours to to Bow, Sierra Leone. Same thing. Police officer, young police officer, planting churches, facilitating discovery Bible studies. Wait, you got a full-time job and you're doing, you're planting churches? and Walk across the way, she escorts us across and... and uh, our drivers, same story. Same story. I'm, I feel like I'm, I'm reading Miraculous Movements, the book. You know, like, God, I just read this. Now I'm, and to come to find out one of the drivers was in the, was in the book. I, didn't, I had no clue until the end of our trip. And uh, so I, I got, we got to Bo Sierra Leone, and I'm hearing the same story with, Former imams who are now church planters. Um, there's, by the way, there's a picture in Claude's, Claude King's office of 70 imams lining up for baptism. And I said, God, can we see that in North America? Maybe it's not. Maybe it is imams, but maybe it's moms and dads. Maybe it's kids. Maybe it's children lining up for baptism because they've they've met the God of the Bible. Maybe it's the Supreme Court. Maybe it's the Supreme Court. 
I'm all in, folks. I'm all into a disciple-making movement because I've seen it. And so I one night we had these debriefing sessions with Pastor Shadaki Johnson, who, by the way, is just unbelievable what God's doing in and through him. There's so many stories. but So I asked him one night, I said, um, so what's the percentage of, I'm hearing the same story over and over again. All of your people are planting churches and facilitating Discovery Bible studies. Don't you all have time for other programs? But here's my question, I said. That was cynical, by the way. I just want to let you all know about that. Y'all didn't catch that? You didn't catch my spirit on that. That was a cynical statement. And I said, so, Pastor, what, what percentage of your people your people who are planting churches and facilitating Discovery Bible studies. And I'm, I'm telling you, I'm ready for the typical answer. 30. You know what his answer was? 75%. So you're telling me 75% of your people are facilitating Discovery Bible studies and planting churches. He goes... Yes. I don't know about Parker and and Gordon, but we were overwhelmed with what God was doing. They're not changing villages. They're changing a nation. God is, right? And it's because they... I've kind of... God gave me a little three-word phrase that, that haunts me all the time. It's called simplify to multiply. That's what I've got to do in my own life. And that's what they're doing. They're, they're so simple. I mean, and we're going to talk a little bit about what it takes, what paradigm shifts have to happen to see something like that. But I came away from that, that country going, God, please allow me to do something in North America could, so we can see a disciple, multiple disciple-making movements here in North America. Amen? I mean, would you agree with that? That, that we... The, the business as usual is not cutting it. And it's not that we work harder or even smarter. We work, it's following God wherever he's working and join him there. So um, I was radically, conf- I was confronted by what I've done in the past and where I want to go in the future. Disciple-making movements are... I love what Dan Spader said last night. So we've got to define the terms. So we're all saying the same things and terminologies are, are correct and or as close as we can. But you know, when you start trying to define disciple-making movements, it's not easy. Because whatever we do, whatever, however we define it, 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 um, it limits God. And there's just no limit on our Father. Amen? There's no limit of what He can do. Um, So here's my my feeble attempt. It's my, really, it's my feeble attempt at at trying to define disciple-making movements that it's, it's a... It's a collaboration of what I've, I've read, what I've seen, what I've heard. Um, 
It's it's a hybrid. It's it may not even be totally accurate. I'll I'll admit that, but it's just my attempt. Okay, just to just to put some. I don't want to put a boundary on it, but I just want to put something out there that I can can kind of start wrestling with and and create more conversations and hope. I'm telling you, Gordon and I were talking about this uh, just yesterday. One of the things that I love about what really what Shadaki told me when he said 75% of his people are, are planning churches and facilitating discovered Bible studies, I started crying because you know what our our percentages are, 30 to 35% that would come to Sunday school or come to a small group or attend worship. Not lead anything, but just to attend. We're okay with that. And I'm, I'm such, I was under such conviction. But here's what happened. I started crying and I realized there's hope. There's hope for the local church to see a movement of God, not only in Sierra Leone or a hundred other places in the world, and by the way, there's not any disciple-making movements in that what, what we're talking about, what we've seen, what we've heard. There's not that. There, there are pockets. There are some fires that are, are, are surfacing. I'm telling you, there, there are some things that are happening. But as far as movements, uh, we don't see that in North America yet. But I believe it's coming. I really do. And, you know, this may, this may not be a something we rally around but I'm just saying this is something how I try to get my arms around it with but very loosely to say here's what disciple movements disciple making movements are so I'm going to read this and let's talk about it okay all right so uh, DMM is an acronym uh, for an executable disciple making strategy that fosters disciples Making Disciples, Disciple Makers, Making Disciple Makers. DMM has a built-in self-replicating DNA that catalyzes viral movements of God through ordinary people. Again, feeble at its best. I'm not, I'm not the resident expert. I'm, a, I'm an observer. And I'm attempting to be planting myself inside disciple-making movements because the hope for the world is not another program. And boy, I hope I don't ever come across what I'm saying today as a program. It's, it's about a movement of God, and I want to join Him in that. I think I heard John in his introduction talking about the, the Great Commission, co-mission, that we're joining Him. And I'll tell you, I'm, really, I'm a strategy guy. I can strategize all this stuff to death. I mean, I used to work for North American Mission Board. I'm a strategy guy. I think that way anyway. I'm just, I'm just that. I'm just built that way. And um, so, anyway, what are some words that kind of you have a question about, or you stick out to you, or you know, there's there's some words there that may. Uh, we may need to just talk about, but what are what are some words there that interest you?
DNA that catalyzes? That's, DNA is, impo- is important. You have a church that has DNA. You know every church has DNA, right? And it's been established. When you start a church, DNA has been established. And then when you want to try to change something that's away from that DNA, guess what happens? There's there's conflict. Pardon me? Yeah. <laughs> I call it detoxing. Um, so, you know, I was, I was telling Tim yesterday that I have... Whenever we had the the forum that happened yesterday morning, I, I came burdened for pastors. Because you, you go, gosh, I'm hearing all this great stuff. How do I go back and make a difference? How do I change? It's tough. I mean, but whatever you do, don't put the binder on the shelf. Go back and pray. Your your first step when you leave here is is pray. Prayer and fasting. God, what what do you want me to do? How do I respond to what you're doing? That may mean a change. May. Probably will. I went through experiencing God. Anybody go through experiencing God? Yeah, that created havoc in a great way. Why? I had a guy, I was going through experiencing God, and my DNA was set I'm a Texas boy. And then I got this invitation to go to Illinois. Why would I leave Texas to go to Illinois? You know why? To be right in the center of God's will. Even though I thought Texas was in the center of God's will. Uh, Yes, I'm one of those obnoxious Texans. And proud of it. But let me tell you something. There's... There's no better place to be than in the center of his will. That DNA that I had, that I went, you know, God just radically moved me because I want to be an obedient. And that's why this interests me. This definition interests me. It kind of confounds me a little bit. So anything, I, did I hear somebody say, uh, what was that? Uh, catalyzes. What does that mean? What does catalytic mean? Besides going to a conference? Change. 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 Speeds up the process. Speeds it up. True. Anything else? Any other words up there? Executable. Executable. Not excusable, but executable. In other words, well, this is one of the things that I learned when I went to Sierra Leone. I went with this understanding that it was just an organic movement, which it is. But what what really blew me away was to see structure. Now, from a guy who has a spiritual gift of administration, that just blessed my heart. You know, to say, oh, so we can we could strategize, and we, you know, we could we could create the box, you know, we could control. No, it was out of control. When I asked Yadonke how many generations of, of Discovery Bible studies that they were doing, how many, how many could you count? And he said, we quit counting at 17. 
He said, we can't count them anymore. I said, I don't even know hardly anybody anymore. I just know the, you know, the people. And there was stru- but there was structure. Four times a year, they bring people in for a week. They're leaders. And they're pounding the DNA of disciple-making movements in and through their people four times a year. And we're going, man, we hope you can come to our leadership conference once a year, you know. I'm just, we're so busy. We're so complex. You read, did you read Rainer's book, Simple Church? That, that was a, that was a good, that was a good book. But we're, we're really, we're complex. Our, our structures and systems are so, uh, structured, there's not a lot of flexibility. So, uh, it is executable. There is there is structure. You can create structure, but you don't. If you read the book Trellis and the Vine, you know you just, you want to just put enough. And I heard this yet last night. You just want to put enough trellis to let things grow. You don't want to build the trellis and then try to put stuff on it. And I'm telling you, that's what I did. I built I built the trellis and. Transformation didn't happen. But you build a trellis to support the vine as it grows. You know, you just need enough structure for the vine to grow. Amen? I mean, does that make sense? If it does, it practically it does for me. Anything else? Anybody else have a... Yes, ma'am. So it's his job. A little structure in place, but then, like, I'm the person hanging out in the bar bringing in people, and he gets quickly, like, caught up in um, biblical counseling and spent 40 hours a week counseling, and discipleship kind of went by the wayside. And, mm-hmm. and now he's gone, and now we're kind of, like, back to square one again. Before, Anybody want to speak into that? About ordinary people? Who's ordinary in this room? If you didn't raise your hand, let's talk. Because <laughs> um, you look at the disciples. God was expecting these guys to write the New Testament. I mean, look at it that way. Don't look at them just okay. We're, you know, I'm calling these guys, and I'm I'm expecting a movement of God out of these guys. We're all ordinary. When I went to Sierra Leone, that was that stood out. Um, we went to a clinic one day, and so we met a doctor, a, a dentist, receptionist. Um, we actually got to see somebody when the dentist pull pull teeth that day. That was. I don't know if that was a good experience or not, but it was. Um, but we, but they're all ordinary people. I met farmers. By the way, in our ministries, when you see incredible things happen, isn't it usually through the ordinary people? Because the the pastors are too busy. We got lots of we're spending lots of plates. 
We're trying to keep things. We're trying to keep the system going. Thanks, Chad. Well, I would say, too, that, you know, that you're the seed of the scientific movement you guys are Kind of what we looked at next, last session is that take someone with you. So begin to share whether, you know, discovery, Bible study, you know, begin to take someone with you in what you're doing, and then that begins to multiply. So you're the beginning of that movement there in the church. Had a, a guy... John King and I were doing a Discovery Bible Study training in in, uh, New Jersey a couple of years ago. And um, there were about 28 people in in that room. Only one got it. You know, everybody else went, oh, that's good stuff. Thanks, Gary. God bless your ministry. And uh, I... uh, so Israel comes up to me after it's over with and goes, God's already given me the God's already given me the 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 vision for New Jersey or the for the Bronx. God's told me that I need to plant a church in each of the twenty five zip codes in the Bronx. Which first of all blows me away, you know. It's kind of hard to get your arms around that. And he said, but what you gave me was a tool. You gave me hope. You gave me a tool um, that we can start planting Discovery Bible studies in each of those zip codes. And they've already started planting churches now, you know, in less than two years. There's a church in Columbus, Ohio right now that's about to launch as a result of Discovery Bible studies. This is, this is the thing that I've, I've really challenged church planters or want to be church planters. Or soon to be church planters. Would you rather start a church with disciple makers? Or would you rather find a building, invite people to come to your church, and then train them to become disciple makers? There's a difference. Would you agree with that? There's a, there's a difference in that. There's a different mindset. Now, in reality, it's going to happen in both ways. But to start a church with disciple makers means that you've got the DNA of disciple making movement inside your church to start off with instead of trying to move and shake things and trying to, you know, add that later. Difference. Every church planner that I've, I've asked that, they said, well, sure. I'd rather start, but they don't do it. And so that's a great idea. Let me let me help you with that. Oh, I think we're we're good. We're gonna go ahead and. Okay, last. Anybody else? Any other things? I want I want to give you some time to do we'll do some Q and A here, so you can just talk about what you've learned. Totally, but I want to get through my stuff. Okay, gotcha. Um. Anybody else? Anything else? Does this make sense so far? Is there something that really goes, you know, you're irritating me? Or that, you're irritating me, or that definition irritates me? I'm interested in, so my understanding of the Great Commission 
they're in make disciples. So what is your distinction between a disciple, which is supposed to make a disciple, and a disciple maker? Well, practically, there are a lot of people who, who are disciples, but they don't there's they haven't been equipped or trained to multiply. And disciple makers <laughs> Uh, from my perspective, when I see scripture, by the way, whenever you you look at book at the book of Acts in chapter one, you see 120 who were fired up. The Holy Spirit. They moved out. You get to Acts chapter 17. They're looking for Paul and Silas, and they can't find them, which is a good thing. But they find Jason and some other guys and they pull them out in the street. And they said, these men have turned the world upside down. So something was different than disciples. Just disciples making disciples. Inherently, yes, it's a multiplication kind of thing. I'm just distinguishing, really trying to add fuel to the fire to say it's disciple makers making disciple makers. If you don't have this intentional effort and plan to say, I want you, I want you to become a disciple maker. I want to help you to become a disciple maker. You're coming alongside them in a context of a small group to become disciple makers who make disciple makers. Every person in our church are potential disciple makers. Amen? They should be. Every person, every believer should be a disciple maker. And so it's more kind of an intentional effort on, on what I see and to see that but nothing, but go, you go to Acts 1 to 17, which is less than 20 years. That wouldn't have happened if we said, would y'all come to church? Never would have happened. There's a different mindset. There's something different that happened in, in, the, in those, the early church that they, they got lit up. And they were obedient. They weren't just getting knowledge. They weren't just soaking it in and saying, man, look at all the great information I'm going, you know, understanding about from God, from the disciples. No, they were out obeying and being persecuted. And they were moving and moving forward. So it moved the, the gospel because of a disciple making, because of a movement of God. They moved from Jerusalem to Asia in less than 20 years and to the known world. In in 50 years, the Roman Empire. That just doesn't happen when we say, okay, y'all come to church. I'm I'm, I'm, I'm really under conviction that our churches are just too busy. Our pastor um, passed away, or David Landreth, our pastor, two years ago passed away with cancer. But about six, seven years ago, he, uh, he had an epiphany during his sermon, which you always go, oh, my goodness, what's going to happen? And David, David was preaching on evangelism. Parker, you may, may remember this. He was preaching on evangelism. And he had this moment 
which I think was a God moment. It wasn't an epiphany. It was a God moment. And he said, he just kind of looked at everybody and goes, you know, we've got you so busy doing stuff here at the church, you don't have time for evangelism. And I, I, I leaned over to my wife and I said, uh-oh, things are going to change. And they did. The next Sunday, you've been into the main auditorium, you see those big walls. We came in one Sunday and there was all these markers on the floor. Hundreds of markers on the floor by those walls. And during the invitation time, he said, take a marker. He was preaching on evangelism, preaching on the lost. And he said, come and take, this is the invitation, come and pick up a pen and start writing names of lost people on the wall. Now, he, he was a goofball. He said, yeah, I've already talked to the deacons. They're okay with this. We're going to paint over this in a few weeks. We're going to paint over this. You want, but you know what? Those names will always be there. So I'm telling you, the invitation was pretty stinking powerful in each of those three services. People who were crying and weeping and coming up and, and starting writing names of lost people. And so for weeks and weeks, we'd come back and you start to see a, a line go through or a hallelujah or a praise the Lord or something by those names. God was moving in such a way, but it was putting the lost on our hearts, you know, that it's not about us. It's about the lost world who desperately need to come to know the Savior who's inside of us. And so finally, I, because of Discovery Bible Study, I'm, I've always been involved in evangelism. That's what I did. I mean, I lead people to Christ. I've led street teams at spring break at, at, uh, in Florida. I've done all that stuff. And I love it. But now, because of Discovery Bible Study and disciple-making movements, we can see campuses change, communities change, homes change. Let's move on. Only got 32 more slides. So what do DMMs look like? So the this first one, disciple-making movements focus on making obedient disciples. Well, there's a distinction. Obedient disciples, not converts. And you've heard this before. We've you've you've heard it from some of our our guys. So I'm not going to elaborate. But I think there is a. It's important to see and say, obedient disciples. Not obedient to the master teacher but to the Word, to the author of the Word. Uh, DMMs occur naturally and spontaneously when the right principles uh, are applied. Um, there's a lot, of, lot to that, but uh, um, it is natural. It's, you know, God has given us the vehicle of relationships. For us to plant the gospel, to spread the gospel, to plant the seeds, to plant himself, his, his power, his presence. Um, so whenever 
I, I went to Mexico a long time ago on a trip, mission trip, and we had kind of this Apostle Paul-like guy, um, uh, um, a Mexican pastor who was like, I think he was like Apostle Paul. I mean, he just, so we rolled into a village one night at, at like 8 o'clock, and he just started going door to door and just inviting people in this village to come out. We're going to have service on the, on the court, the basketball court. And I, and I saw that night, that this is only one, first, only time I've ever seen this, but I saw a whole village of men come to Christ that night. But they're connected. There's, in the, in the Western world, we're not connected. We're disconnected. So whenever I roll into my house, I hit the garage door opener. I have to be more intentional, don't we? Don't we all have to be more intentional? But villages, and in the urban area in North in North America are connected. If you if you go to Chicago, those neighborhoods are connected. They're living together. They know each other, and that's to me that's the that's the hope for us, is to get find those persons of peace in those those neighborhoods. I think the the new day of uh, the uh, a new day for mission trips is to is to have people going two by two, just like Luke ten, and start praying and looking for persons of peace. I think that's that's the that is a new mission opportunity for us that we don't practice. It's a great evangelism strategy. Find persons of peace, and they're going to open the door. They're they're the ones that are spiritually seeking. One of I'm telling you, Gordon and and Parker can um, attest to this. We, we go into villages in, in Sierra Leone, and the driver would say, this lady here is the person of peace. It was almost like a title. And so this lady is not even a Christian. But she opened the door for a churches to be planted, or a church, or a discovery Bible study, or a water well, or whatever it might be to have access to the community. That's what persons of peace do. It opens it up for us to have connections with family and friends. They're networks. And folks, we are networkers. I know that. But God's got supernatural networkers out there in Luke 10, persons of peace, that will absolutely give access to the gospel. We just need to practice it. We need to obey that. Uh, DMMs are a rapid multiplication of small groups and churches. Um, one of the things that I learned is there's a difference between an elephant church and a rabbit church. How long does it take for an elephant church to multiply or to reproduce? It takes a long time. Right? It's not nine months. Rabbit churches? Oh, my goodness. But if you do them right, they're strong and they're healthy. It's amazing. So DMMs are small groups, what we call discovery groups, that are moving rapidly through relationships, through friendships, through all those kinds of connections. And churches are planted and started. Disciple-making movements thrive in an environment of persecution and chaos. There's hope. <laughs> so we were in Sierra Leone and the, the Ebola, Ebola was just breaking out. We were there when it was breaking out. Uh, it, we had two or three, I think there were two or three deaths that happened in sou- southern 
Sierra Leone, on Liberian, or somewhere down in that area. And um, so, as you know, you know, just a few months later, and for for quite several months, uh, Ebola killed lots of people, including some church planters, a church planter that we know of. Even during that, you know what happens, what, what a country does when Ebola breaks out? They quarantine. So they're not supposed to be connecting with people. <laughs> Farmers can't farm as good as they were supposed to. I mean, people who are business people, they don't, they're living in these urban areas and they're not, I mean, they're, these, these are quarantine environments. Even during that time, 130 plus churches got started during Ebola. That's the power of the gospel. And I'm not talking about, I mean, we, th- these are documented churches. These are written down. This is not just a number flipping out from an excited white guy. These are real churches. Small, simple, multiplying environments. Even during a quarantine, Is the word really as powerful as it says it is? Is is God as powerful as we hope he is? Yes, he is. Um, Disciple-making movements focus on replication. Uh, I'll add one more word. Duh. Um, But it really does. I mean, I'm not trying to be flippant. But it's kind of like the guy that I met, the immigration officer. So are you planning churches and... And facilitating discovery Bible studies? Oh, yeah. What else are we going to do? That's what I'm getting attacked. That's, that was amazing. His response was amazing. Oh, yeah, we do that. Okay. So, duh. We're, we're focusing on, on replication. DMMs have a core value of discovering where God is at work by finding a person of peace. We've We've heard that a lot now. Um, DMMs are about the church emerging from within the culture of the people. Okay, listen, here's my... I've been a youth pastor. I've been a worship leader. I've, I've, I've done a lot of things in the local church. And so when we want to start something, we'll start a different organization. Okay, so we're gonna we're gonna start, and it, there, there may be even a purpose for that, because the rest of the church doesn't want to do that. But the DNA of DMM is the church. This is emerging from the church, and moving into and through relationships. Um, DMMs are family based, and we're not trying to extract individuals and. And uh, fill them with a bunch of Jesus stuff and say, "God bless your ministry." No, this is this is about family reaching families. This is about dad reaching his and disciple making or disciple his kids. This is this is family. I, I love my family. I know you love your family, but if we're not discipling them. You understand? I'm like, I'm about start, I could start preaching on that. 
Disciple-making movements focus on making disciple-makers of every member. Every member. Not just a member of your church, but a member of your discovery group. Uh, that's To me, I'm still still just like overwhelmed with 75%, that number. 75%. So they're intentionally going at I said, what about the other 25? And he said, well, they're almost there. You know, they're... We're, we're, we're working with them. We're, we're moving them. And let me tell you, this church here that we're talking about in Sierra Leone was a traditional church at one time who was, who were planting churches, but they were doing it by addition. And then they got, they were in this meeting and they heard about disciple making movements and the pastor said, we, we need to do that. If we're going to reach, if we're going to do our part of the Great Commission, we need to move into the disciple making movement world. And his leadership said, don't do that. Have you heard that before? And leadership said, please don't do that. Let's don't, let's don't change. We're, we're good. We're, we're making progress. He said, no, we don't have a choice. We don't have a choice. If we're going to do our part of the Great Commission, we're going to become part of the disciple making movement area, era. And so they did. And so, Last ten years, they've started seven thousand churches. Again, these are documented numbers; they're not flippant. Is it exactly seven thousand? No, but we're talking about round numbers. It's right at seven thousand, or even more now, because that was that number is probably a year old. But if you're not focusing on every member becoming a disciple maker, we need we need to do that. I mean, I don't I don't see we have a choice. Do you? Yeah, I mean, we don't want to assume that. Yeah, I don't mean to assume that. Right, right, and I and I would say, go ahead, go ahead. You were going to say something, um, and I would say get them in a discovery Bible study, where you're focusing on Scripture and Scripture alone, and you're not talking about knowledge anymore. You're talking about obedience-based disciple making, and so they're being confronted by the power of God's word, not my opinion. There's a difference, because I I don't think I need to spoon feed anybody. Anymore, I think I just need to point them to the scripture. That's why we never call that we're leading a Bible study. We don't do that. Because really, the reality is, if I ask in this room, if this is just the ordinary people in this room, which we all are, but in our local churches, if you're in a, in a, in a church with your people and you say, hey, I need about 15 new Sunday school teachers next month. Would you raise your hand to, to be a part of that? You're not going to get 10 or 15. You know what the responses are going to be? I don't know enough Bible. I didn't go to seminary. I didn't go to Bible school. So, when you learn how to do discovery Bible study, Gordon's going to do some, some of that teaching. Anybody can do discovery Bible study. 
And you've heard that already. You've heard those principles. So we don't call them, hey, we're going to lead a discovery. But I mean, we're not going to, we're not going to teach, we're not going to teach the word. We're going to facilitate a discovery Bible study and let the Holy Spirit be the teacher. I'll let the Holy Spirit be the teacher. Can you imagine that? What an asinine statement is that? But in reality, sometimes we take Holy Spirit, you've got your, I'm the teacher. I love to teach. Really, I'm serious. I love to teach. That's one of my spiritual gifts. But when I make my spiritual gift of administration and, and teaching, I can organize the heck out of that. I mean, I can put some chapters together. But let me tell you, there's no better thing to see a, a, a person's lights come on when they discover the God of the Bible. There's nothing better to say, man, that's what, that's what I've got to, I've got to obey that, that scripture right there. Yes, sir. And, and I'll, I'll, I love it. Thank you. This is what I, I learned about discovery. If you discover it, you own it. But if you tell me to obey it, I might. I might not. But if I have an aha moment, I'm pretty pumped about it. I'm so pumped about it, I may go tell my wife what God just did in my heart. Or my neighbor. Or my my son, or my pastor, because whenever God's word is discovered, and the Holy Spirit's the teacher, that really does make the difference in the world. Just, just recently, had a lady tell me about her I will statement she had no idea what God was up to by the way isn't God already working before us ahead of us so this lady named India her name's India right down the road her I will statement with her girls she was leading facilitating a discovery Bible study with with some young girls but her I will statement was this. I will publicly apologize for the mess that I made when I was back in high school. And she said, I had no, I had no idea what that meant. What time are we supposed to be through? Eleven. thanks. I have no idea what that meant. I don't know why, but I was just being obedient to what the Holy Spirit was te- teaching me and telling me to do. So she went the very next morning. She posted. She actually did a video, and public and and made a video apology, and posted it on her Facebook. In the next few days, I mean next few days, one of the ladies from her church texted her. I've got the text, and said, "I need to come this Sunday. I got to tell you what what God's doing through your video." Why wait till next Sunday? Let's talk about it now. So they, so she shared the story that she, her, this lady uh, has a coworker, and she's been kind of witnessing to her, talking to her, and inviting her to church. And she said, "Would you come to church?" And she said, Where, "What church do you go to?" And India's friend and church, the church member said. 
hey, I go to Freedom Church in Gallatin or Station Camp. And she said, is there a girl there named India in your church? And she said, yeah, she's over our small groups, pastor's daughter. And she says, well, she goes to that church. I don't want to go to that church. And so this friend had already seen the video on Facebook. He said, hey, let me show you something. So she's right there. She showed her the video of India apologizing. Now the, now the story's not over, but the girl responded and said, I believe her. I accept her apology. It was over a guy years before in high school. Folks, we have people coming to church all the time that got a bunch of junk in their lives. I come to church with junk. You do too. But here's an an obedience, I will statement that made a difference. Now, there's no telling what. I I can't wait to see what the story might look like in in the future. But it confronted her because of obedience. Um, DMM churches are self-supporting from day one. We'll uh, we'll we'll uh, move on because we're not talking about buildings necessarily. By the way, you can't replicate, you can't reproduce churches buildings. You just can't do it. They do, you can do it by addition, but you can't do it by multiplication. It takes too much money to do that. It takes too much time, really. Now let's put together a team, let's put together a committee and, and let's come up with a, a building plan and you know you know what those steps are. You've been through those before in your own church, maybe, where your churches are expanding or you know so we become so building focused that we don't we lose the lost. Bye, Isaac. I saw your eyes watering, so go ahead. So what's it going to take? Here's, and you've seen some of this before. I think Terry mentioned this uh, yesterday. Number one, make intercessory prayer the highest priority. Folks, this is about it. This is practical. This is not. This this is what made the difference in Sierra Leone. They've got a prayer team that's going on there. They don't go to villages without permission from the prayer team. Now, who does that anymore? Or who does that? So they'll, they'll go to the prayer team and say, we, we're thinking about putting a discovery Bible study in this village. And they'll say, well, let's pray about it. You know, they start praying about it and say, no, it's not time. It's not time. So when we, we get into this, and then there are other times they'll say, go, and then multiplication happens. Then things start, and things start multiplying. But you personally, if you're not practicing prayer and fasting, it's not prayer or fasting. It's prayer and fasting. It makes a, di- it makes a difference because all of a sudden you're so sensitive to what God's doing and wanting to say and wanting us to do in and through you. It's prayer and fasting. Make intercessory prayer the highest priority. Number two, make disciples who make disciples. Make disciple makers who make disciple makers. Number three, invest time in the right person or right persons. It's not investing in the mass. It's investing in the small so you can grow bigger. 
let it start small and then it'll grow. Um, don't tell people what to believe and do. Now this, this was something that I went, okay, I just, what does that mean? What does that mean? That means the Holy Spirit, when you put people in discovery Bible studies, there's a difference between focusing on the Word and curriculum. I'm not anti-curriculum. By the way, I used to work for Lifeway. I don't know if you know that, but Lifeway is pretty curriculum-driven, and I'm okay with that. That's fine. But if you're dependent on curriculum and not obeying God's Word, it's just curriculum. I mean, I, I, I used to go to, to the Northeast a lot in my time at Lifeway, and I started hearing these stories of, of women going from one Bethmore Bible study to the next without a lot of transformation. And, and the, and the, and I know, by the way, I love Beth Moore because she put, you know, shoes on my kids' feet. Yeah, I'm just kidding. But I do love Beth Moore. I really do. She's a great preacher. You didn't hear me say that. Yeah, but she is a great, great teacher, Bible teacher. I love Beth Moore. Or whoever it might be, Chuck Swindoll or whoever, Charleston, I don't care. It doesn't matter. But if we're dependent on what happened to the priesthood of the believer? So it, we get in this, this, this setting at church to say, just tell me what I need to do. Just tell me what to believe. No, you discover it and own it. You discover it. You find out what God is teaching you. I love it when one of my kids come and say, Dad, I was reading Scripture the other day and just God was just teaching me, telling me what I need to do or to change or whatever. Isn't that a blessing to have a kid that would call you and tell you that? You know, there's a time he would never do that. But the, God's Word is so powerful, so strong, so sharp. Don't, you don't have to tell people what to believe. Yeah, is there correction sometimes? Absolutely. We're not talking, talking about that. Yeah, there are times for correction, rebuking. I think that's a privilege, a perk. No, I'm just kidding. You guys need to loosen up just a little bit. <laughs> but the reality is, God's Word, we don't have to cram it down people's. We want to put it up as a plate. Just let them... Let them discover in the context of a small group. Watch and just step back and see what God does. Number five, never settle for revealing just one dimension of Jesus' life. And here's, here's what we do. We have the compassionate folks. Then we have the evangelism folks. Here's, we're passing out food. And we're telling people to get right or get left. When you see Jesus model, those are together. Jesus was always showing compassion. Always showing compassion. He was meeting needs and sharing the gospel. He was sharing himself. He was sharing the message. He was sharing hope. Never separate compassion and God's Word. Never separate it. It's a disconnect. 
It's kind of like separating discipleship and evangelism. Don't get me started on that. You can't separate that. Biblically, you can't separate discipleship and evangelism. It's together. It's not discipleship is is evangelism. Evangelism is, it's, it works together. It is one. And compassion and God's word should be one. Compassion and evangelism should be one. There should be never no separation. Never settle for revealing just one dimension of Jesus' life. Never substitute knowledge about God for an obedience-based relationship with God. Never substitute knowledge for obedience. Would you agree with that? I mean, knowledge without obedience is what? Knowledge without obedience is what? Disobedience. Quote it. That's in my notes. Lastly, understand that Jesus does impossible things through most ordinary people. Folks, all I'm doing is saying there's hope. There's hope for the local church. There's hope for the local church. We've got lots of organizations, parachurch organizations that are doing great things. There are a lot of churches that are doing great things. But I know a lot of churches who are really struggling. I don't know if you know any of those, but I know a lot. There's so much more to say. But all I want to say this, close this, and then I'm going to, got a couple minutes here we can ask a few questions. Um, my life was status quo. But I saw a church that gave me hope to say, really, more than 30% of your people can really be actively engaged with what God's doing, not creating another program, but simplifying their church enough to say, we've got time to obey the word. We've got time to, to follow where God's working and join him there. We don't have a lot of margin in our lives, in our churches. But if you'll become a part of disciple-making movements, there will have to be some paradigm shifts, some changes that have to be made. You don't just do discovery Bible study and say, go for it. No, you need to understand that that disciple-making movements are being fueled by discovery Bible studies. And so when people start obeying the word and it gets out of control, it's okay. And for an administration guy, that's tough for me. Because I want to, I want to corral. I want to, I want to put boundaries. But I don't want to put boundaries on what God's doing. And I'm okay with that now. I'm a, I'm a recovering control, control freak. I've been, I've been detoxed. I'm freed up. If that's okay. It is okay. Um, we're here. Final command is here to serve you in any way we can. We, we are going to do a, 
a follow-up forum teleconference. And if you're interested in that, it's going to be on October 17th. It's a Monday, 2.30 Central Time. And uh, you can go to our exhibit area and sign up for that. We want people who just want to kind of, we're, we're going to, our team is going to debrief. We're going to do a team forum this afternoon at 1230. I'll be moderating that so y'all can pray for me or pray for them. Uh, pray for our team. Uh, but pray for us as, as final command. But come to our team forum today if you want to, 1230. It's in the student building and, and uh, I think it's room one. Um, but if you, um, if you want to, we're going to do a teleconference like Zoom or it won't be Skype. It'll be Zoom or Fuse or something like that. And uh, sign up, and we'll send you the information how to get get all that connection stuff, all that high-tech stuff. You've been listening to the Disciple Makers podcast. This audio was adapted from the original presentation. Not all live interactions are included. Learn how you can grow as a disciple maker by visiting discipleship.org, where you can also register for the next National Disciple Making Forum.